Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift. This is Ian. Uh, we've got an interesting show today and there's a lot of action happening out on the streets with Extinction Rebellion occupying the William Jolly Bridge. We hope to get a report on that later. The show today is about a starting up of the Reclaim the Night march that used to we used to have them here in, in Brisbane to stop violence against women and there, uh, there's a Reclaim the March group has set up in in Brisbane again and they're going to have a rally in a couple of weeks time on a Friday night at Queen's Park and then a march that's that that interview is coming up first and then we talk about um, a book that has been launched Bielke Blues it's edited by Edwina Shaw and she's come along and done an interview this morning over the phone to talk about that book and it's particularly apt given that we seem to be going back to the future. So the state government is attempting to roll back the uh, the the democratic rights that were won 40 years ago in previous struggles and now they seem to be trying to stop the right to organise against climate change and the export of coal. Okay, so before we... Let's just get started with Adela and uh, have a listen to what she has to say uh, about um, Reclaim the Night. What is Reclaim the Night about? Well, Reclaim the Night is about raising awareness about sexual violence in our community. It is about uh, supporting survivors and sending the message that we believe them. Reclaim the Night happens the last Friday of October every year. This year we're holding a rally the 25th of October. So it's an international event. We've been having Reclaim the Night in Australia for 41 years now. I remember the last yes. Re- Reclaim the Night uh, march that I went on, I went to. It was in 1979 mm. and uh, women were arrested in Adelaide Street. Yeah, oh, I don't know. I was not in Australia in the 1970s. So it, it hasn't been practised here in Brisbane for very long then, in, in recent years? I think that uh, for a, a couple of years we didn't have to claim the night because we didn't have enough people to plan it. Okay. Uh, usually reclaim the night is planned by unpaid, you know, women, women from the community. Yep. Um, there have been a lot of... Um, 
uh, sexual and violent assaults in Brisbane in recent years. Yes. And is that the reason why you're trying to start it up again? Yes, uh, I was reading the ABS stats and they saying that sexual violence has increased uh, in Australia, including Brisbane. Are there any specific kinds of violence that you are, is the reason why you're calling it this year? Well, according to the ABS, uh, most victims of sexual violence are women and children, and most perpetrators are men. Now, having said that, we're not saying that most men are perpetrators. We're saying that most perpetrators of sexual violence are men. And that usually when women disclose sexual violence, many people don't believe them. That's why this year we have the theme, We Believe You. Yeah. So we want to send the message to survivors that they're not to blame, it's not their fault, and we believe them. There seems to be a lot of under-reporting of sexual violence. Do you have yes. any? Do you have any information about that? Well, when I was working as a sexual assault counsellor, uh, many women were saying they were afraid of reporting to the police because they know that the legal system is not friendly to women, and the conviction rates are really, really low, and most sex offenders just walk away. So women are afraid of going through the ordeal of the legal system and not having justice. And also, they're also afraid of not being believed. So is this an appeal to the state to do something about the legal system? And if so, what changes do you want? Well, we're going to have a speaker. Saying, uh, one of them is going to be speaking about the legal system and survivors. And I guess we want the legal system... Uh, to be fair to survivors, to increase convictions, because that's not happening. And that's why many women don't report. I've read um, um, articles about the actual, you know, what happens with lawyers in, inside the criminal justice system. And yeah. women have reported, that's women lawyers or women who are work in legal firms, have reported a very high level of sexual harassment inside the legal community, in fact, mm. one of the highest. So if there is an appeal to make the system fair, then wouldn't the, um, the government have to first repair the, the, the actual practices with inside the legal community itself? Yeah, I think in the past, uh, reclaim the night, people have approached uh, the Queensland Minister for Justice uh, regarding the family court system and the sexual harassment within the legal system. But we know this is a whole system that we need to change. And it's not just government, and people need to take action as well. And I get this is why Reclaim the Night is trying to raise awareness about what is going on. How did uh, Minister Yvette Darth respond when she was approached about this problem? Well, the responses we have had have, have not been really uh, clear. You know, sometimes ministers don't respond. Uh, I guess one of the aims of the rally is to encourage people to participate in changes 
you know, because we know that sexual violence is common, we know it is increasing, but knowing it's not enough, we have to change the system. Um, during the year, and last year as well, when there have been some uh, horrific sexual attacks on women, which have ended in them being murdered, um, people would come out to the Parliament House with their candles and there would be a vigil. And, yes, um, yes. and then um, what would happen is um, someone from the government would and the opposition would come out sometimes and they would say how terrible it is that this has happened. Yes. But then we don't see any change. So how, how, how can change be achieved when our leaders are not responding? But we're asking ourselves the same question. Is it just about an issue of leaders? Because they need to respond. But what is the community here? Because we need to put pressure on leaders, but we need to do it regularly, not just once a year. And I guess that's, that's one of the issues, for example, at the Brisbane Writing and Sex Survivor Support Center. They do activism. They have a group of women who do activism and are trying to make changes in society. But we need to know about that. We need to know that's going on so other people can participate. I mean, there's, there's strong movement, for example, about climate change. You can see on TV every day there's so many things going on. But when it comes to women and sexual violence, we wonder why people are not being part of the changes. Violence all. That was Adele who was talking about uh, Reclaim the Night. Uh, we're going to uh, come back to Adele in a minute and uh, see if we can um, try to find out a little bit more about how it, that, that is organised, that particular uh, that particular group. So let's go now to a song by Peggy Seeger. It's called Reclaim the Night. Though Eve was made from Adam's rib, nine months he lay within her crib. How can a man of woman born thereafter use her sex with scorn? For though we bear the human race, to us is given but second place. And some men place us lower still By using us against our will If we choose to walk alone For us there is no safety zone If we're attacked we bear the blame They say that we began the game And though you prove your injury the judge may set the rapist free, therefore the victim is to blame. Call it nature, but rape's the name. Reclaim the night and win the day. We want the right that should be our own, a freedom women have seldom known. The right to live, the right to walk alone without fear. 
A husband has his lawful rights, can take his wife whene'er he likes, and courts uphold time after time that rape in marriage is no crime. The choice is hers and hers alone. Submit or lose your kids and home. When love becomes a legal claim, call it duty, but rape's the name. And if a man should rape a child, it's not because his spirit's wild. Our system gives the prize to all who trample on the weak and small. When fathers rape, they surely know their kids have nowhere else to go. Try to forget, don't ask us to forgive them. They know what they do. Reclaim the night and win the day. We want the right that should be our own. Our freedom women have seldom known. The right to live, the right to walk alone without fear. When exploitation is the norm, rape is found in many forms. Lower wages, meaner tasks, poorer schooling, second class. We serve our own, and like the men, we serve employers. It follows then that bodies rape is nothing new, but just a servant's final due. We've raised our voices in the past, and this time will not be the last. Our body's gift is ours to give, not payment for the right to live. Since we've outgrown the status quo, we claim the right to answer no. If without consent he stake a claim, call it rape, for rape's the name. Reclaim the night and win the day. We want the right that should be our own. Our freedom women have seldom known. The right to live, the right to walk alone without fear. That was Peggy Seeger with Reclaim the Night. So let's go back now to Adela, who is from the Reclaim the Night Collective here in Brisbane, and she's talking about a march that... Is being organised soon. Why is the focus on reclaiming the night? What, what is it about the night that you want to stress? Okay, we know that as women, we don't feel 100% safe when we go out at night. We always do something to protect ourselves. And when you ask other women... They all do something to protect themselves, so they don't go out at night because something might happen to me. So why do we have to live like this? This is why we reclaim the night. We go out at night and we demand that we be safe in this society when we go out at night. With climate change, 
going out at uh-huh. night might be the only time we can go out because it's so hot during the day. Are we? Um, yeah. Also, uh, the the nighttime marches that I've been to, um, when the police are hostile, it has been a good time to march because uh, they they don't they 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 can't sort of work out what you're going to do next. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Could you give us some details of the rally, where and when, and um, and any contact details, so that people can um, ring up or follow up what you have say- said. Yeah. What the rally is going to happen Friday, the twenty fifth of October, uh, from six p.m. at Queens Park. Opposite the casino. Okay, now. Um, so, if people are interested in more information, we have a Facebook page which is Brisbane Reclaim the Night. Yep. And they can also call the Brisbane Raving in Fest Survival Support Centre. Yes, what's the number there? Yeah, the number is 3391. 2573. Double three nine one twenty five seven three. That's right. And the rally is on the 25th of October, which is a Friday at 6pm. There'll be a lot of people in the city on that Friday night. Um, so yeah, and that's a, why Friday is a good day. Yeah. And yeah. will you have a march? We're going to have a march at 7pm. And from 6 to 7, we have speakers from different organizations. So the theme of the night is We Believe You. Sorry, what was that again? Because we, we believe you because we want to say that we believe survivors, that they're not to blame. Okay. And we want the system to hold uh, offenders accountable. Do you think that will have a positive effect on people when they, they hear that? Yes, because we know, if we know sexual violence is common, we know that many survivors attend the rally. And having, you know, when you do sexual assault counseling, uh, you see the impact of, of that on women. You know, when you say, uh, you know, I believe you. Because there's so many people who don't believe survivors and blame survivors. Yes, it's always very moving when you hear at a rally someone stepping up and saying that I was um, sexually abused and they yeah. they tell their story in public. That's a very yeah. empowering thing. Yes. And I guess another issue with the rally is about challenging uh, the misconceptions about sexual violence, you know, that women lie about it, that women provoke. The sexual violence is not that common or it's about sex when in reality it is about power and control. So we want to be able to challenge those misconceptions and encourage people to think about how can I, you know, get rid of those misconceptions in society so we can support survivors better. You know, um, in Brisbane, there's uh, that area in Fortitude Valley has been, mm-hmm. there's a lot of um, uh, nightclubs and, and there's a lot of people going out and clubbing and getting dressed up 
for the occasion. Um, yes. Now, do you know if there's any um, increase in the amount of harassment of uh, women at, at that time in that place? Reading some stories, I do believe there has been an increase because sexual violence is on the increase. And sexual violence is not just about rape, it is about uh, street harassment as well. We have to remember that we do live in a really sexy society. I know I heard an account of um, uh, police, actually, they have um, a, like a database of people who are sexual offenders and um, yes. they... Uh, patrol the valley and they try to pick out uh, the people, the men, who might be, um, you know, inclined to do that. Uh, yes. I know. I noticed that that does happen and you see them pull them up when there's been a complaint by a woman. Um, mm -hmm. And so the, the police are aware of it. Um, do you think that that is, um, you know, that that's prevalent elsewhere? You know, you do see it in the valley. I don't know if it exists in other places, though. Mm -hmm. I don't really know about any other area. And I guess one of the misconceptions about sexual violence is that only certain men that commit sexual violence. And according to the ABS, most people who sexually abuse uh, women and children are people they know and so not necessarily strangers. How does a woman who's been sexually abused, how does she overcome that? You know, in her life, it must have an enormous effect and is, is um, an open challenge the most effective way or yeah. you, you think that is the best way to challenge the, the perpetrator and also the people who remain silent, the others who know it happened? You know, I'm thinking of a saying... Well, I think... Yeah. Go on, sorry. I think everybody is different. And I guess it has been found that women who do better, who recover, are women who have a lot of support in their life. You know, who have people who say, I believe you, who validate their feelings. And that doesn't happen to all of them. In the past, we had this mis misconception that once you experience sexual violence, that's it. But now we know that women can heal, but they need support as well. So they need support from other people, not just work, as their family and friends. And to live in a community where they are not blamed for what they happen. But I do believe that healing is possible. I know a woman who was abused by her three brothers and she remained silent. But as a result of that, uh, she got involved in drugs, um, had a lot of trouble in her working life. Um, yeah. And, and that had a very severe impact on her mental health. And yeah. in recent times, she said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to confront the main brother who was her perpetrator. This is many years on. And I'm going to yeah. confront my family with this. You know, I'm over it. I've got to do something now in order to make my life different. Um, yeah. So even after many years, um, she's she's making a declaration. And I think she's also reaching out to see if she will get support, you know, from her friends. Yeah, yeah. And that is a way of her becoming stronger. Because, yeah. Because... 
you know, the the brother in question is in complete denial. Yeah. And uh, so it's very hard, you know, when you've got historical sexual abuse where it comes yeah. up many years later. You know, we've seen, for example, with the trial of uh, the Cardinal Pell, you know, he was mm-hmm. in complete denial of of, yeah. all, of everything. And he, so, you know, it's like he doesn't even believe that it happened when it clearly, mm-hmm. it, you know, a jury said, well, it did happen, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I guess con- confronting is not for everybody. Because women have to think about safety. Is it safe to confront? It has been helpful for some women, but some women choose not to do that because they're not safe. And safety is priority. And it doesn't mean that because you didn't confront, you're not going to heal. Because you will. But I guess women have to think about their safety first. Thank you very much, Adela. Is there anything you'd like to add? I just want to encourage people to attend the rally in March. And I guess I want to ask people to read more about sexual violence and how they can support survivors instead of blaming them. And also how they can involve in the community so we can change our society to a better society for women, children and men. I know a woman who was abused by her three brothers and... That was Adela who uh, is from Reclaim the Night Collective and they're organising a march and a rally with some interesting speakers. Um, It's on the 25th of October at 6pm at Queen's Gardens, just near the casino there. So um, that's that's coming up, uh, it must be Friday week. So that, that'll be, it'll be good if people can come along and support that on that Friday night. Let's go now to uh, a song, I Never Sing, which is actually about the trial of a, of a rapist who, uh, and the, when the, um, the survivor gave evidence this this really instilled in the one of the jury members a made a lasting impression and he then wrote this song and it's called I never sing jumping fences I never sing she said I never sing songs that make me cry melodies of sweet release a window to a heartfelt sigh I never sing she said I never sing regrets of love or love gone wrong a tender hand that's gone from reach and
Jumping fences with a song I never sing. Quite appropriate to that interview that we had before with um, Adela from Reclaim the, the Night Collective. Now let's move on now to uh, a new book that's come out. It's called Bielke Blues. Uh, it's edited and published by Edwina Shaw, and I did an interview with her just earlier this morning. During the paradigm shift, it's 35 minutes past 12, and Let's go now to the interview I did with Edwina. Could we start by you introducing yourself? Uh, So, hi, um, my name's Edwina Shaw. I'm a Brisbane writer and editor. Uh, My most recent book is Bielke Blues, which is a collection of 45 short pieces about life in Queensland during the Joe Bielke-Peterson regime from 1967, 68 to 1987. Why did you choose the title, Bielke Blues? Well, I had it in my head. I've had this project in my head for many, many years. And because I grew up in the Bielke Peterson era, I was born just a couple of years before he came into power. He was on the telly and I first really encountered uh, what it was like to be on the wrong side of um, King Joe as a young punk in the 1980-81 and the police harassment and so on. So it it was the blues, as in singing the blues, but it was also, wasn't there a pumpkin called the Bielke Blue? I thought there was a pumpkin. And someone said there was a cheese as well. Uh, Yes, so it had a couple of different meanings. I was wondering also whether there was a reference to Puberty Blues, which is sort of one of the groundbreaking, like, not not an overtly feminist film, but a film about, you know, women coming of age, so to speak. Yes, yes. Well, um, I suppose subliminally, yes, because Puberty Blues came out, you know, it's, it's the same era as me. I think they're just a few years older than me. So, yeah, maybe it was in there. I did watch Puberty Blues quite a lot on video. Are there 
uh, a number, you know, a significant number of women writers in the in the book. I think you said there were like uh, yes, 30-odd yes, stories, was it? I think we've got... I, I tried to make it as equal as possible. I tried to give a diverse collection of, of people as, as I could. But it's... Um, I mean, we've got lots of women's stories. I've got um, women drummers and um, women guitarists. So I was very excited about that. Uh, and um, we got wonderful Angelina Hurley as well from Murray Radio. Um, and women academics, and um, yeah, Anne Jones from um, Tojo, uh, yeah. So women and and men, and um, you know, we've got very lucky to get um, respected elders Sam Watson and Bob Weatherall as well. Um, and and you know, it was important to me get to get queer stories in there as well. So I've tried to get something from. Uh, you know, all the different range of people who found themselves on the wrong side of Joe. So the punks and the hippies and the blacks and the queers and women. And whoever else he didn't like, basically. <laughs> Anyone on the left. I, I came from an era before you, so I came through the Frank Nicklin era. And um, I think that one of the telling differences between the Bjorki Peterson era and the Frank Nicklin era was that the growth of the women's movement meant that there was a, a lot of strong women whose voices were heard, um, in, mm. particularly in organising uh, around um, issues such as the women's rights to choose, uh, uh, control over yeah. their own body bodies, abortion rights. Are there any stories in the book that reflect that growth of the women's movement? Um, probably um, there's a piece by Annie Webster. So uh, for a lot of people, their stories are very personal. So it's about their journey as women living through these times. Also, another story that sticks out to me is Janelle Hurst's uh, story about, you know, the position of women, what, uh, what it was like back then in the, the 70s and, and 80s. And, um, yes, I mean, for me, what stuck out was Joe on the telly calling women reporters girly and it just got my goat very you know from when I was very young I hated that um yeah so and we've got stories about the women's day march there was a, a, there were a big women's day march where uh, hundreds and hundreds of people were arrested um I think that was 1979 um and we've got stories of young women who were at that march uh, and arrested and women protesters who were, you know, hit on the head and stories like that. So, yeah, it's people's personal stories of how that era affected them. I remember... But, yeah, I like your point. I think certainly we had the women's movement. We also had, from, you know, Whitlam, we had people had access to university education who didn't ever before. So we had a lot of people at uni who wouldn't have had a chance before um, and we were there at the same time as Joe started really repressing students. So it radicalised a whole lot of people. So we had all of that all happening at the same time. Thinking, thinking for the moment about the audience, now in the audience there may have been people that were uh, 
partly sympathetic to Bjorki Peterson. There may be people who sort of sat on the sidelines and watched, and there doubtless would be people that were actively involved in different ways. Um, do the are, are you talking about at the launch? No, I'm, I'm thinking of the audience of the book. Um, Oh, okay, yeah. So, so in, in, in any audience of a book, there, you know, people have come at it from a different perspective. Um, there may be, you know, artists, there may be people who were political activists at the time, or maybe people yeah. who were... So what, what, does the, what do the stories, how do they inform those different audiences that any book well, might have? Well, choosing the first story, I very consciously chose a story which showed a very middle ground. So... Uh, Nikki Peelgrain's story. She grew up in the Darling Downs in a small town um, with a single mum who was a secretary for a National Party minister. So she starts us off and we get her mum's view because my mum still says the same thing. And, you know, a lot of people in Queensland still say Joe did a lot of good things. And I wanted to draw those people in so that they could read the truth about Joe because, I mean, the police harassment was only just one aspect. What I've learnt through um, doing the editing of this book was all that came before me and all of the other stuff, like his personal vendettas against people where he used taxpayers' money to hound them in the courts and bankrupt them and basically exile them from Queensland. Uh, at one stage, he sued every member of the opposition. And that's all with taxpayers' money. Um, all things like that. I just, I suppose I, I, I wrote it very much with the people who say, oh, Joe did a lot of good things um, in mind because I just wanted to show them the other side. Mm. Also, you know, we're living in an age now where there has been a reawakening of activism, particularly around yes. climate change. Do the yes. stories in the book, do they inform the people, for example, that today are uh, occupying the William Jolly Bridge and trying to get the government to declare a climate emergency? Yes, I think so. I'm, I'm so excited by this new rise of activism. I think, you know, when you have exhausted all the other avenues, when your petitions aren't working, when elections aren't working, you, you have to do disruptive protests so that your voice is heard. Um, and I think that the history of these protests, and Queensland has a long history of protest marches before the Joe period as well um, and it, it will just maybe give those people hope um, to keep going and that it is worthwhile. I mean it took a long long time for us to um, do anything about Joe and it was, eventually it was the journalists, the writers who, who did it but all of that activism played a large role in it. Mm. In that, So I'm hoping that they will be heartened by the stories in this book. Realist, and 
That was Johnny Mitchell with Night Ride Home. And the Rebel Sailor Sunday. Had some crazy, uh, very crazy kind of crickets in the background there. So let's go back now to Edwina Shaw, who's a writer, publisher, editor, uh, with her new book called Bielke Blues. In each uh, generation, there is a there are turning points um, in the uh, in my era of uh, opposition to the Vietnam War. The turning point was when the Frank Nicklin government banned street marches and tried to stop us from organising against um, conscription and against the Vietnam War. And for the next period, um, uh, it only took 10 years before another Premier came along, in this case, Joe Bielke-Peterson, and he banned street marches in order to prevent the anti-Iranian movement from mobilising people to blockade the yellow cape being shipped from Hamilton Number no. Four Wharf in Brisbane, and we, uh, ironically, yeah. we, we have now um, a, 
you know, the, a Labor government again, and a woman. We we have a we have a a government that came to power on the back of that political organisation. So the only reason why they're in power was because there were changes to the electoral system as a result of those many years of um, marches and organising in different groups. Um, yeah. And now they wish to outlaw democratic rights to organise where people are trying to prevent the Adani mine and trying to prevent the coal from being yeah. exported. It must come as a, an irony to someone who's published a book like this to see it revisited so closely. I, I am dismayed. I am dismayed that it is a Labor government and worst of all that it's a strongly female Labor government that is doing this and and failing to protect the... And it's the environment, for goodness sake, you know? I, I don't... Yeah, obviously power corrupts. <laughs> um, but at least, you know, the, the gerrymander is there and the laws that were passed in 93 do give um, protesters more protection than they have ever had before um, for the right to protest. Uh, Jonathan Three is, um, has written a couple of posts about that on his website um, talking about how that um, act that was passed in 93, I think it was, um, protected the right to march and to protest in Queensland. So we have got their, that there and just hopefully they're not going to... Um, but somebody was telling me yesterday that they're... I, I don't know whether they've passed it or they're, they're trying to pass quite extreme measures against mar marching, like banning anyone who participates in the march from entering the city. Yes, I saw a I saw a um, a broadcast from a young woman's phone inside the watch house, and she was one of the people that spoke at a rally in Musgrave Park, and uh, the police arrested her under the Bail Act, pro prohibiting her from going back into the CBD because she had been previously arrested for locking on in the CBD, and that was a, quite a plaintiff. Uh, plea from her from the Brisbane Watch House um, asking people to support the um, Extinction Rebellion people um, yes. because she had been she's been taken out in basically she can't um, participate. Into the CBD? Yeah. Yeah I mean that, that's that's crazy stuff. I, I'm just yes, uh, yes I think we all need to join them that's what I think needs to happen, and, and I think it will happen. I mean, UQ, after the fall of Joe, it became quite right-wing and, and so on, so it's really great to see that activism starting up again. Uh, um, we've got a Bielke Blues talk at a UQ, the UQ Bloom Festival next Friday um, and talking about the protest movement, and we're being interviewed by a young student protester. So that's going to be very interesting. Um, but it, it's great. I mean, I think young people should be active and, and vocal. And the rest of us too, uh, we may be a bit more tired now, but we should um, definitely... The more people that join the Extension Rebellion people, maybe we don't all have to chain ourselves, but if we all gather in large numbers, then it has to have some effect, surely. 
You mentioned that um, you know it's women in the Labor Party that are running the show and that they're leading this uh, yeah. attack. We we have to say though that the women in the Labor Party in government. I'm talking specifically about the two ministers, both Jackie Trad and Anastasia Palaszczuk. Yeah. They did decriminalise abortion, uh, and they did. Yes. They did pass. That's good. They passed um, laws that prohibit people from harassing women who are going to abortion clinics. Now that's got to be that's a good, good thing because that's yes. showing where yes, the, the power good. relationship. You know, you can't just say blanket people should have the right to hold up, for example, a placard with a with an unborn fetus in front of a a woman who's going to an abortion clinic that that kind of harassment should be outlawed um yeah so they you know they when we talk about civil liberties um there's there's, uh, a, there's yes, more to I it. don't know but I don't know that that's such a personal attack you know that's a different kind of of protest that's a very personal thing um no, it's not like, um, I suppose, people who are being held up in the traffic and made late for their work meetings are finding it very personal as well. But there, there comes a point where, you know, it has to disrupt um, the everyday workings. And I think it, it, in this day and age it, it has to, well, probably every day and age, it had to disrupt economically to have any impact. Don't you think that that... That's the only way to, because it seems the government is so controlled economically by the big companies like Adani, uh, who have so much influence just in, well, I suppose, funding and, and job prospects or whatever people think that they are offering, um, that disruption is what works. On one level, it is a personal attack when someone holds up a fetus in front of a someone going to an abortion clinic but on uh. on another level isn't it an attack on all women because basically what it's saying is that the patriarchy must be able to determine uh, uh, the c control over a woman's body and that it seems to me when they take that position they're saying we're sort of a higher we're, we have we're calling on a higher authority and that, and that authority, if you take away women's right to control their own body, then what you're fact, in fact doing is you're attacking women generally. Yes. Yes. Well, and, um, you know, but a lot of these protesters are women themselves, aren't they? Um, the, the right to lifers. And, you know, I can, I can understand their point of view, but I think it all gets... I think that the life of the, the woman is, is valuable and that she has the right to control her own fertility. That's just basically it. Um, yeah, so I'm very glad that they have outlawed that. Um, but it is, um, yeah, well, different one, from... One, one of the strongest voices behind Bjorki Peterson, uh, not Flo, <laughs> was um, Rona Joyner, who was a, a right to Oh, yeah, I remember uh, her. And what was Fred Nile as well? He was around the same time. But he, but Fred Nile's still around, and he was in New South Wales. But Rona Joyner 
uh, wanted Bjelke Peterson to ban sex education in schools, which he did. He banned two really quite modest, uh, they're called Makos and Semp. And um, so, and also she wanted um, uh, all that teachers couldn't uh, be homosexuals, was the way she put it. So, uh, so she yeah. wanted to ban gay people from uh, from teaching children. So th there was a um, you know an organised voice behind him, which he would use in his populist way to garner support um, enough support to win elections. Yeah, and I think um, too, it's the uh, you know he was very much a believer that he was driven by God. He was you know a God-fearing Lutheran, so all of that feeds into it as well. And that's something else we've got to be keeping a careful eye on these days. Okay, um, can you tell us some practical details of where the book can be bought and um, how much it costs? Um, yeah, and, any so, and I'll tell you about a couple of... So we're, we've got... Um, the books are available online, direct from the and also website, uh, A-N-D-A-L-S-O, books, B-O-O-K-S, dot com, dot A-U. Uh, you can buy them direct there and get them posted out, or they're available in Avid Reader, Riverbend, the Mary Ryan stores, Folio Books, State Library, Museum of Brisbane... Um, Brisbane City Council uh, Library, I noticed they have... Brisbane too. City Council Libraries, uh, Books at Stones. We've got an event at Stones Corner on Wednesday night, the 16th of October, at L Lady Marmalade Cafe, starting at 6.30. A panel of so speakers... So that's the 16th of October at 6.30 at Lady Marmalade in Stones Lardy. Corner. Yeah, and on Friday at 5pm at uh, the UQ Lakes, for the UQ Bloom Festival. Okay. And um, the books are also available in Townsville at Mary Who and in a bookstore in Cairns. There's a full list of bookstores that are stocking the book on the And Also Books website and Facebook page and also Better Read Than Dead in Sydney. I think also um, Glebe Books and Reading's books in Melbourne. Just one final question before you go, Edwina. Have you got anything to say to uh, new aspiring writers um, as to how they should go about um, getting their work published? Yes, sure. <laughs> First, write it and write it. <laughs> uh, get it done. Then get education or help mentoring, editing, um, that that work, that first draft. And really the, the truth is it, it's not easy. It's going to take time. You can get very lucky, and I hope that everybody is. Um, but, yeah, it takes time. There are lots of small journals. Self-publishing is becoming more and can more acceptable, me, and that's perhaps a good way to go. Small presses as well. Um, but don't think you're going to become a Leanne Moriarty or a J.K. Rowling um, overnight and be live the life of the rich and famous. I've been writing and publishing for 17 years, and, um, yeah, it's, yes. <laughs> it's like being any artist, you know. It's, it's a great life. It enriches your life, 
but it may not make you rich. <laughs> it may do. <laughs> uh, oh, and I forgot to say, yeah, Bielke Blues is $30. Okay, thanks very much for that. Hello, that was um, Edwina Shaw talking about Bielke Blues, and I'm hoping that I have someone from Extinction Rebellion on the line. Is that true? Yes, you do. Yes, hi. Hello. I believe that you're on the William Jolly Bridge. Can you give us a report as to what's happening? Well, the action's all over. So uh, the bridge was reopened at about uh, just after midday, about five past twelve. So um, effectively the the bridge was um, occupied uh, by protesters from uh, about ten past ten through till about midday. And what were the main uh, demands that people were making? Well, the same demands that uh, you've been reading about and and being reported all week and and actually for months, which is um, we've got a a, a climate emergency on our hands and we've got um, politicians who are sitting around doing nothing about it. You know, we need to see... We're not going to meet our Paris agreements. We know that. We know that for sure. Um, There are some... There are some projects that are going up in northern Australia and if they, you know, as in fossil fuel projects, if they go ahead, then Australia is going to be responsible for 13% of global emissions. So, you know, none of this is helping us to meet our Paris targets and um, we're at nearing tipping points. And uh, I don't know if you're aware of what tipping points are, but once we reach our tipping points, um, it's effectively a free fall. There's not much we can do once we get to that point. So, you know, it's it's pretty important. We need the government to, to start putting together some proper climate policies that are going to do something. And uh, that's what we're asking for. So we're asking for a significant emissions reduction by 2025. Of course, there's been some hysteria in the media and they're playing upon people's fears that, you know, you're going to obstruct and bring the whole system coming to a crash. They, they're virtually saying that the demands being made by Extinction Rebellion are a form of hysteria in themselves. What do you say to those people? Well, I would say they should probably do some research and go and educate themselves as to what is actually going on. Um, you've, I mean, it's, it's no secret that the IPCC, uh, which is the International Panel for on Climate Change, has released its second major report and uh, the news is not good. Now, the IPCC reports have been written by scientists. Um, and these scientists, we're, we're some climate scientists, sorry. Some, I think we're at something like 97% now of climate scientists. Uh, yeah. So um, the thing is, we are heading towards two degrees global warming. And if that happens, then the, the climate as we know it is going to create so many problems for the general population, um, that, you know, we're headed for the sixth great mass extinction. So we already know that we're losing creatures literally daily, um, 200 a day. And so, you know, it, we are in a bad situation, but we can do something about it. And that's what I think is the most important thing to get out there. It's not too late, but we have to actually do something now. We have to act now. The main strategy being used is non-violent direct action. Correct. And, and that, that in itself is a, is a you know, it's a, it's a powerful statement. It makes people attend to what you're saying. But implied in it is that we do have just masters. It's an appeal for someone else, um, the government, to actually 
um, meet your demands. Now, when the governments have proven time and time again that they don't uh, attend to ordinary people, that they attend to the big corporations, what do you do next? Well, I guess that's the thing, is, is we need for the general population to mobilise. Um, they need to understand that perhaps our politicians actually aren't working for us. They are working indeed for the fossil fuel companies. Um, you know, if you go... So it is, you know, it's a climate emergency. They need to stop working for their donors and they need to start working for the people um, that they are supposed to be caring for. Uh, at the moment, that's not happening. It's, it's, it's all about the, um, you know, industry and what they will and won't accept. But unfortunately, once we get to these tipping points uh, and the climate um, goes way high, goes, goes um, haywire is the word I was looking for, then it's going to be too late. So we're asking the government to do the right thing and to act now. We have a climate emergency and we need them to actually declare that and then act on that climate emergency. There's a bill before the parliament which basically outlaws you from going into the CBD and carrying on your protests. Um, there is only one person in the parliament who has spoken out against it. That's Michael Berkman from the Greens. Yes, Both the right. Labor Party and the National Party are in favour of the legislation to wind back the clock 40 years to when we last yes. had the Bjelke-Peterson government yes. trying to stop yes, the anti-Uranium movement. So yes. what, what, what do you do, what will you do when representative democracy fails? Well, that's right. I mean, what do you do? Uh, and, and this is, I guess, why people are starting to get out on the streets. They're understanding that democracy is failing that the fossil fuel industry is trying to... I mean, the reason everyone's getting so... The reason they want to put this bill out there is because they're getting worried. You know, we're starting to make an impact. People are starting to listen. I'm talking to you on the radio because we blocked off William Jolly Bridge and because Extinction Rebellion never had a, a week of, um, of action. So the word is getting out there and it's the only way, I think, that we're going to get these governments to act. They do have to eventually do it. We, we are... We've run out of options. So, you know, do they want to be the ones that, you know, in, in 10 years' time, when we're having, you know, massive cyclones hitting Brisbane and, and you know, maybe even Sydney, who knows? Uh, do they want to be the ones that go, oh, yeah, but you know what? My fossil fuel mates paid us, so that we, we thought we wanted to save those couple, that handful of jobs up north. You know, we have to change everything. It's a climate emergency and everything has to change, including transitioning. We've run out of time, but is there anything uh, in brief that you'd like to add? Um, no, not really, other than I really would like to go, uh, the, the people who don't understand what today, this week has been about to educate themselves. There is so much information on the internet they can get onto, they can join us, they can get onto Facebook or they can go to the, the website and join us. But it's going to take, it only takes three and a half percent of the population to change to turn something around. That's all it takes. It's not a lot. Um, it is an emergency. If they've got kids and grandkids, then they need to think about their future. That's, that's the bottom line. Is we have to think about future generations. Um, the, 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 we've had a you know we've had our go, and it it's, it is an emergency. So let's act that way. Thank you. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for your time.